Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Then Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Recently, Rob began a video teaching series entitled The 50 Final Events in World History, The Book of Revelation Demystified. You can use this self-paced video study for individual or group use. It includes downloadable visual aids for personal reference or for Bible teachers who want to teach this material to others. Visit robertjmorgan.com courses and use the coupon code podcast at checkout for a special listener's discount. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello there, and welcome to my podcast series, What's Bothering You? These are Bible studies built around one simple idea. If the majestic Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were to envelop you and ask you what was bothering you, what would you say? Maybe you're worried about another person. Maybe you're facing some limitations or shortfalls. Whatever it is, what advice would the Godhead of heaven give you? Well, in a way, the whole Bible is an answer to that question, isn't it? The Bible is God's book for people in difficulty. But there are three particular scriptures that seem to me to be like anchors when it comes to the subjects of overcoming worry and finding peace. These three passages, I'll have to tell you, have become so very important to me that I've memorized two of them, and I've almost memorized the third one. I'm still working on it. And in this series of podcasts, I'm sharing them with you. First, what would God the Father say to you? In Psalm 37, he says, Do not fret, for fretting only causes harm. We looked at that in previous episodes. Secondly, what would Jesus say? Well, his most definitive passage about anxiety and worry is in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, Do not worry about your life. And likewise, we devoted a couple of weeks or so to that. So now today I want to go on and tell you what God the Holy Spirit has to say. He says it through the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul. He says it in the book of Philippians chapter 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now put those together. Do not fret. Do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious about anything. I can't tell you what comes into my mind when I visualize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit saying that to me. So today and next week, we'll finish this 10-part series of podcasts by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Now, if you're working out on your treadmill, you may not be able to open your Bible right now, so you can simply listen and check out the passage later. But if it's possible to do it, open your Bible to Philippians 4 and follow along with me as I study this passage with you verse by verse. Let's begin by looking at verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
In these three short sentences, there are several proactive steps the Holy Spirit tells us to take if we are to overcome anxiety. The first is to rejoice. You see it there in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, anxiety is sort of like an emotional tsunami that just overwhelms my internal systems. I don't always seem to be able to control it. But it's hard to remain in a state of nervous anxiety when you are rejoicing. And joy is an attitude that we can choose. We can choose for ourselves. I'll tell you, it took me a long time to understand this. In years in the past, I've suffered from melancholy. That's sort of my personality type. And I've even had some touches of depression. And one day, as I studied the Bible some years ago, I noticed how often the words joy and rejoice and rejoicing are found. I was intrigued, and I decided to pursue a Bible study about what Scripture had to say concerning joy and rejoicing. And I decided to look up every occurrence of those words, which ended up being a Herculean task. And those verses led me to others, like biblical references about cheer and gladness and happiness and delight and encouragement and even blessed and blessings. There were hundreds, I mean literally hundreds and hundreds of references, and I finally just gave up trying to systematize and to organize them. That's how prevalent this theme is in the scriptures. The word joy itself occurs well over 200 times in the Bible. The word rejoice occurs another 200 times. The word glad occurs over 100 times. And then there are all of the other words. And I was just never able to take all of those verses and organize them into a system that sort of would serve as an outline for a book or anything. There were just too many verses. I was lost in it from beginning to end. But I came away thinking, if this subject, is so important to God that he brings it up hundreds of times in this one book that I can hold in my hand. What must he think of me when I mope around like a despondent hound dog or a blobfish? By a sheer act of the will, I begin trying to train myself to smile more, to be more cheerful, and to rejoice. Now, sheer willpower isn't enough. This is a quality that is cultivated within us by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us that. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. But it also takes a willful choice on our part. It's a partnership like everything else between God and us. It takes our willingness and effort and the Holy Spirit's fullness and power. But notice how often we are commanded, not advised or just counseled, but commanded to rejoice. Deuteronomy 12, verse 7 says, In the presence of the Lord your God and your families you shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. Psalm 68, verse 4 says, Sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides in the heavens. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 simply says, Rejoice always. 
Well, going back to Philippians 4.4, notice one other thing. It doesn't tell us to rejoice in our circumstances or to rejoice in our problems or to rejoice in our sufferings. It tells us to rejoice in our Lord. When you cannot rejoice in your load, you can rejoice in your Lord. We can rejoice in His presence. Whatever is happening, we can rejoice in His promises. Whatever our circumstances, we have His provisions and all of the blessings that He offers us. We can rejoice in the eternal home He's preparing for us. We can rejoice in His ability to turn curses into blessings. We can also learn to rejoice in the simple pleasures that He brings to each day. Now, think about that. We can rejoice in the simple pleasures that He brings to us during each day. As I prepared this message, a terrific thunderstorm swept over my house. It was unusually bad. The wind made the trees dance like ballerinas. I stood on the back porch and took it all in. It seems to me that a bolt of lightning and a roll of thunder are better than any fireworks at Disneyland. A calm backyard with singing birds and chirping frogs is better than any symphony that you'll hear at the Lincoln Center. A burst of peony is richer than King Solomon's wardrobe, and a tour of your potted plants rivals a tour of the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. Hearing the sound of the wind through the maple trees is as rich a treat as a rock concert, and watching a jetliner pierce the clouds is, in my opinion, better than being in it. A backyard swing will yield as many pleasures as a gondola in the Alps. So when we rejoice in the Lord, we learn we don't have to be rich to enjoy life. It's found in the simple pleasures. You know what First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, here's where I think that a hymn book can also help us. For the past few days, I've been singing a British hymn during my devotions each morning, and it stayed with me throughout the day. The title is, Rejoice, Ye Pure in Heart. It was written by Edward Plumtree in the 1800s. He was a Bible scholar, an Anglican pastor, and a university professor. He was also a hymnist. He is best known for this hymn that is so majestic it is often used as processionals, and the title, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart. You can learn even the first stanza, and if so, you can walk through your backyard singing it quietly and just rejoicing using the words of this hymn. Rejoice, ye pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing. Your glorious banner wave on high, the cross of Christ your King. Rejoice, 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 give thanks and sing. And another stanza says, Yes, on through life's long path, still chanting as you go from youth to age, by night and day, in gladness and in woe, rejoice, 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 give thanks and sing. I can't tell you how often in the car or out on the patio or sometimes even walking around the house, some hymn of rejoicing will come to my mind 
And I'll just sing a verse of it, and it seems to help me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's Paul's first step for overcoming the anxious life. Now, his second step is gentleness. For some reason, a lot of people leave this out, but notice how obvious it is right here in the text. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. This is another lesson I learned the hard way. As I look back over my vocational life, well, over my personal life too, there have been many times when I became too tired, too fatigued, and it made me irritable. I would snap at people. There are visions in my mind that I can't get out of me being irritable at my wife or at my kids or maybe at a clerk in a hotel or maybe at a person in church. Well, what does that do to everyone's anxiety, including mine? It raises anxiety. There is something about being gentle that lowers everybody's anxiety. Anxiety often comes from the attitude of tension that is within us. And gentleness is the ability to ratchet that down and to treat people in a way that reduces anxiety. I recently read an article about South Korean politics, and there is something interesting about the man who has just been appointed as the prime minister of South Korea. His name is Chung Skakung, and this is the way that he is described in the press. His nickname is Mr. Smile because of his mild demeanor. He has six times been voted as the most gentlemanly lawmaker by reporters covering the Korean National Assembly. He's always pursued politics by listening and valuing the attitudes of others and, and working with dialogue and compromise to display a gentle personality. Well, it's no wonder that people enjoy working with him. Someone like that reduces tension. In his book about the Holy Spirit, evangelist Billy Graham made an observation that took me by surprise. I'd never heard it before, but I looked it up and it's true. The word gentle does not really occur that often in the Bible, just about 20 times. And yet it is used in separate passages to describe each member of the aforementioned Trinity. We're told that God the Father is gentle. In Psalm 18, verse 35, the psalmist addressed God in prayer, and he said, You also have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. And then we're told that God the Holy Spirit is gentle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said he was pleading with the Corinthians with all of the humility and gentleness of Christ. God the Son, I should say, is gentle. And then we're told that God the Holy Spirit is gentle. As I said, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all described as having a very gentle side. And in fact, so should we. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. 
So think about your attitude and your behavior over the last day or two. Think about how you've interacted with your wife or husband or children or parents or people at work. Has there been a gentleness about you that has reduced stress and anxiety? Or is there this layer of anger or irritability or tension that lifts everyone's anxiety? It says here, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, the third step in overcoming anxiety is learning to enjoy the abiding presence of God. Look at these verses again and notice these four key words right in the middle of them. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Now, the Apostle Paul could have left that phrase out and we would never have known it. In fact, it's in a different form than that of all of the other sentences here. Did you notice every other sentence is a commandment? Rejoice. That's a commandment. Be gentle. That's a commandment. Do not be anxious. That's a commandment. Present your request to God. That's a commandment. But this one odd little four-word sentence, the Lord is near, is not a command. It's not even technically a promise. It's a bit of information. It is a statement of fact. It is a true bit of knowledge. It is just what it is. The Lord is near. Some people think that means the Lord's coming is near, but I think Paul the Apostle intended to say that the Lord's presence is near, and therefore we don't need to be anxious about anything. Think about that. If the Lord is near you, if He truly is, if His overwhelming, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscience, nearness is around you on every side like a globe of grace, like a shield, then why should we be anxious? R.T. Kendall told about a friend of his who had an extraordinary incident in his life that lasted for less than 10 seconds. He said that this man, his friend, was in a hotel in Brazil, and the man said later, As I walked from one room to the other, there was a sudden sense of the presence of God. He said that the surge of joy during those 10 seconds was impossible to calculate. He said, for that very brief moment, I would have endured everything or anything. It made me ask, whatever will heaven be like? Just imagine if as you went through the doorway for 10 seconds, you could really experience in some kind of visceral, literal way, the sense of God's presence, it would likely change the rest of your life. I read just today about a World War II veteran who, when he was 93 years old, two years ago, was ill, and he asked God to take him home to heaven. The man's name is Fred Lunsford, and he has a little prayer garden in the back of his house. He was one of the men who stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. And when he came home, he put, from the war that is, he put seven decades of his life into pastoring and being a minister and an evangelist in North Carolina. But on this particular day, back of his cabin in his little prayer garden at age 93, he was ready for heaven. 
But suddenly he felt God say to him, Not yet. I have more work for you. I want you to pray for revival. And believe it or not, this man, 95 years old, has generated a list of a quarter million people who are praying with him every day for revival. And he's been listed in the media, including Fox News, for what he's doing. But here's what he said about that day in his prayer garden at age 93. I don't know how to explain to you what happened on that day. I have never felt a manifestation of the Spirit of God like I did on that day. Well, I've had other people tell me about moments when, in some kind of never-be-forgotten way, they experienced a real sense of the visceral presence of God. I haven't had quite an experience like that, although there have been times when I've been reading my Bible or probing or thinking about some situation in prayer when I've had no doubt that God was speaking to me. I think when we get to heaven, the manifestation of God's presence will envelop the very atmosphere of the place. And don't you think that every beam of light, every splash of color, every fragrance of flower, every note of music, and every pulsation of the heart will be filled with the glory of his abiding, unbroken, sweet, gentle, powerful, overwhelming presence? Until then... We may have special moments when we feel God's presence in an unusual way, but even when we don't, the Lord is near. Stop and think of that right now, where He is. He is right there to your left, to your right, above you, beneath you, around you, behind you, before you, within you. The Lord is near. It's not a matter of emotions. It's a matter of fact. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. A few years ago, I wrote a book about this passage called Worry Less, Live More. And I can't tell you how that word anything hit me. This passage goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. No exceptions, no exclusions, no contingencies. What should you and I worry about, says this passage? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If the presence of the Almighty God of eternal majesty and absolute power and bottomless grace and everlasting wisdom and immeasurable strength, perpetual love and never-ending life is with us, if He is with us, then it's rather insulting to Him when we wring our hands and pine away in nervous fear, don't you think? But of course, we still have these legitimate concerns, so what should we do with them? Well, we should pray about them. And that's the fourth step. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Just today as I worked on another project, I pulled out my old paperback copy of the collected works of E.M. Bounds. People have gotten away from reading Bounds, but he might be the greatest writer of all time apart from what the Bible has to say on the subject of prayer. I can't read him too often because he makes me feel too convicted. 
But let me just turn at random and read to you a bit of E.M. Bounds. My book of his collected writings has nearly 600 pages, and I'm literally just opening it at random to read you a paragraph. You can do that with him. So on page, it's 369, he wrote, Failure to pray is failure along the whole line of life. It is failure of duty, service, and spiritual progress. God must help people by prayer. The person who does not pray therefore robs himself of God's help. God's will and his glory are bound up in prayer. God's great movements in this world have been conditioned on, continued, and fashioned by prayer. Well, that's a taste of E.M. Bounds. All I can say is that I've had burdens so deep and desires so broad and challenges so great that without prayer, there are times I would have collapsed. I've been so encouraged by biblical passages and messages like the one in Luke 18, chapter 1, that we should always pray and not give up. And it's with this secret of prayer that we can cast our burdens on the Lord, claim his resources of grace, and keep going. This is when I miss my wife, Katrina, so much. I can't tell you how many times when I was overwhelmed with anxiety, she would say, well, let's pray about it. On many of those occasions, I was in no shape to pray, but she was. And she would put her hand on me, or we'd hold hands, and she'd simply tell the Lord pure and simple what we needed. And he had a wonderful way of listening to her. I still have friends who pray with me, of course, but most of my prayers are in private. I meet with the Lord each morning, either at a little desk in my bedroom or at a table on the patio, and I try to pray with the same confidence Katrina had. The New Living Translation says in James 5.16, listen to this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So in the passage today that we've looked at in this episode, the Apostle Paul gives us four steps to reducing the rising tide of anxiety that we so often feel. Make a decision to rejoice. Learn to be gentle. Remember the Lord is near. And present your request to God in prayer. If you'd like to study this passage in more detail, then check out my book, Worry Less, Live More, which is available in print form or in audio or as an e-book from your favorite big distributor or from our website at robertjmorgan.com. Well, next week we'll finish our series of 10 podcasts entitled, What's Bothering You? by looking at these remaining Holy Spirit-inspired verses in Philippians chapter 4. You can access this entire series of podcasts by visiting my website at robertjmorgan.com podcast. While you're there, check out my new series of video lectures, The 50 Final Events in World History, Demystifying the Book of Revelation. I truly feel so honored that you have tuned into this podcast. I appreciate those who have made it possible. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Edited by Elijah Rowe. Music by Jordan Davis. This is Robert J. Morgan. Until next time, thank you for listening.